The text for the sermon this day is taken from Psalm 46, as well as that read, reading from Hebrews, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to, as I begin, I'm going to give you some three really good advice for biblical interpretation. Here are the three most important rules to understanding and reading your Bible. Number one, context. Number two, context. Number three, can anybody guess it? Yes, context, context, context. The context of the text that you are reading. What's going on around it? When we ignore the, te- the context, or are unfamiliar with it, quite often we find ourselves thinking something about a passage that isn't entirely accurate. So take, for example, Psalm 46, verse 10, which begins with these words, Be still and know that I am God. When we were at the National Youth Gathering, this was the verse that was highlighted one of the mornings. And it was pointed out that, you know, you'll find this verse on things like clocks. You'll see it on pillows. Like, it's supposed to be this really comforting verse. Because when you read the word be still, we tend to think be still like the waters are still. Calm, peaceful, easygoing. But that's not how that verse is being used. Especially when you look at the context. It says, The Lord makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When you read it in that context, you realize it was not meant to be words of comfort. If you were to make a pillow that was accurate, it'd probably be wrapped in barbed wire. Because that is actually lost. That isn't gospel. Because it's like, this is not be still like the calm waters. This is be still like a deer in the headlights. Be still with fear, because he is God, and you are not. He is the God who created everything. He spoke it into existence, from the, great, the, great, the stars, from the, the planets, the, the moon, the earth. He keeps it all into rotation. He created the oceans. He created the, the land. He created all the, everything. He even created you and he create and he sustains everything he sustains you he, and all, he keeps it all going but so there's that just on that level we are very 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 small in comparison to our holy and righteous God but then you look at the commandments that we just said the Ten Commandments, you go through it. Look at the ninth and tenth commandment. You shall not covet. The opposite of coveting is contentment. 
How many of you can honestly say that you are 100% content with your life? In other words, you're content with your job, you're content with your house, and I mean that it's always clean, spit span, or maybe you like it when it's messy, then you're content with that, and you're not content when it's clean. I don't know, there could be somebody on the other spectrum. You're content with, you're content with your children, they always behave perfectly. Or children, you're content with your parents always. You know that there are days you wish you had other parents. I'm being honest. And even those who have spouses. Some days you're wishing that you had a different spouse. Or maybe, you're like me, you wish you had one. But there is a lack. We all struggle. Content, when we are not content, that is ultimately Covered. Or how about bear false witness? How much of our conversation is built upon gossiping? Basically, it boils down to, oh, did you hear about Sally? She was doing this one thing and she did this other thing in this one place at that one time? Or, not to pick on women, so you hear about Bill, he did this and he did that in that place. We, by the way, I'm not picking on any specific bill. I just picked a generic name. But, <laughs> but anyways, we all, that is, our entire conversations are built on gossip, which is ultimately bear false witness. That's ultimately a breaking of the Eighth Commandment. And that actually goes into the Fifth Commandment. You shall not murder. Now, hopefully none of you have murdered anybody. But, According to Jesus, if you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murdering them in your heart. If you say you fool, you say, you say anything bad or nasty about your neighbor, you have murdered them in your heart. That's why Luther in his small catechism, in the meaning, says that keeping the fifth commandment means that you speak well of your neighbor. How many of you could say that you 100% of the time only ever say something nice about every single person you know? Or even more specifically, how many of you can honestly say you only ever think good things? How many of us struggle to get through even church thinking the right thing? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. And it's this fictional story about a demon Coach trying to sway a newborn Christian into unbelief. And it, the scene where he's in church, he tells him when he's in church, get the man focused upon things other than the word. Focus upon the fact that somebody's shoes squeak just a little too much. Get somebody to get them to focus upon the quality of music, not even just the music style, the quality. Like, oh, that's not quite the way I like it. Or maybe they might get them to focus on the way someone is singing. Maybe there's some person that just cannot sing on sing a tune, whatever. So get them focused on anything but God's word. Or how about the how about about the sixth command? You shall not commit adultery. How many of us if it says, if you look lustfully upon another you have committed adultery with them in, in your heart. So if you, that is half of the commandments. 
We have broken every single one of them. And so when we read those words, be still and know that I am God, it is pointing to the fact that we are, for one, He is God. He is holy. He is without sin. He is righteous. And you are not holy. You are sinful. In your nature, you are unrighteous. And you do not deserve to come in the presence of this God. Notice what it said in the letter to the Hebrews. It says, you have not come to what may be touched. So he's referring to what it was like, referring to God. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, was so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That is what it means to be still and know God. To tremble with fear at the reality of who he is. The reality is that we don't deserve to come into his presence. We are not worthy to come into his presence. Think of Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted upon his throne, he got down on his face and said, Woe am I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. See, it's for this reason, if you've ever gone to an old Roman Catholic church, old traditional one, do you know what they do right before they go into the pew? A lot of them, the older ones especially, their knees are still good. They genuflect. It's even a practice right before the, you go into the pew to bow. There's also a reason why we, you guys come up and when you come up for communion, you kneel. The reason is it's, it's an act of humility. The altar represents the throne of God. When we are bowing, when we get down on our knees, we are recognizing that we don't deserve to come in the presence of a holy and righteous God. That we are sinners. We are broken. We, we, have, we don't belong in any place where he is. And that's where that, that hymn that we just sang, did any of you notice that there's two words that kept on coming up over and over again? Anybody notice it? What were they? For us. For us. And that hit him. How deep the father, how deep the father's, what is it? Oh, love how deep, how broad, how high, beyond all fantasy. So this is the depth of God's love. That for you, he, he left his throne. So the one who was on the throne before Isaiah, who's, you know when Isaiah said, woe am I? The one who was on the throne left that throne, stepped down on from it, to become born of a young girl between 13 and 15 years old. To be raised up in Nazareth, in the town, a little itty-bitty town in Nazareth that is probably smaller than even Ricketts, that gives you an idea of the town size. He grew up and he was eventually to be rejected, 
hated, betrayed. So for you, he was baptized. For you, he fasted. For you, he was tempted by the devil. For you, he hungered and thirsted for 40 days. For you, he prayed in the garden in agonizing prayer where he was sweating great drops of blood. For you, he was betrayed. For you, he was arrested. For you, he was beaten and flogged. For you, he was stripped naked. For you, he received a crown of thorns on his head. For you, he was forced to carry his cross down the streets of Jerusalem. For you, he had nails driven into his hands and to his feet. For you, he hung upon that cross for six hours and slowly suffocated until he was dead. For you, he was laid dead in the tomb. For you, on Sunday morning, that tomb was empty. For you, he had risen from the dead. For you, he had shown himself alive for 40 days to over 500 people. For you, he ascended into heaven where he sits on the right hand of God. For you, he sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that you may receive faith. For you, he sent forth his church to preach the word, to administer the sacraments by which faith is created. He did all of it for you because the reality is, is be, that words, be still and know that I am God. You can't come before God on your own righteousness. The nature in which we are, who we are before God, leaves us still like that deer in the headlights. Knowing that the next thing that's going to... That we deserve nothing. We should be on our face. We do not deserve to be in the presence of God. Which is why in the Old Covenant, the curtain, there's a curtain that separated the presence of God. They couldn't come to the altar. Which, by the way, that is the reason why there's an opening right here. It's because when Jesus died on the cross, it's not just so we could get through, which, I mean, it's partially that. Because we don't want to do dukes of hazard to get in. But... But it's not that's not the reason. The reason is because when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, as we stood there still, it wasn't that he said, come on in. It's like he came out, grabbed us by the hand and said, come on in. The way has been purchased for you. And he leads us and guides us to his altar. Listen again, what is this text? It continues in Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And by the way, the, earl, the church throughout its history has understood this text to be referring to the Lord's Supper. So, when you come, so you come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. Do you know why this is only half a square? Well, we don't, you know, we don't have this all the way around, so you can commune on the backside. It's because you're only half the people coming up for the Lord's Supper. See, you're the church militant. You're the people who are still fighting the faith, still proclaiming the gospel. That is why you are here. If God did not want you talking about Christ, you would not be here. You would be in heaven. The reason you're not is so you can proclaim the gospel. So you're the church militant. But the other side is the church triumphant. The innumerable angels in festal gathering. 
And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, this would be like Peter, Paul, James, John, all the heroes of the faith. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Raise your hand if there's somebody you know that has died in the faith that you miss. Guessing a lot more than water. And to these, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, those are every single person that has ever died in the faith. The reason, the other side, that is the church triumphant. That is those who have died in the faith. If you ever miss someone who has died in the faith, you come to the Lord's Supper where you are united to Christ through the body and blood of Christ. Through the, you are united to Him, and by consequence, you are united to the church triumphant. We believe in the communion of saints, we say in our creed. Or as we say right before communion, therefore with angels and archangels, all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. And we're praising you and saying, we are confessing that we are communing not just with who you see, but with the whole host of heaven. You are united by the blood of body and blood of Jesus because you are brought to the holy place, which in the old covenant, you could not touch it lest you die. But by the blood of Jesus, you were invited in and you and he becomes your fortress. He is your fortress. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is our fortress. He is your fortress because he is also your God by the blood of Jesus. So be still and know that I am God. That is law. But the gospel is, is it that God that causes you stillness by the body by the blood, shed blood of Jesus. By the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of all that sin I went through in the Ten Commandments. He is your fortress. He is your rock. He is your shield. He is your father. And you are his child. Till the day comes, we celebrate at the everlasting feast in his kingdom. To him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.